Let's pray together. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is what you've told us, O Lord. Even our lives will be like a breath, but you will remain, and your promises are true. And even the words we've heard now, they are life to us. Help us to receive it as such. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us to hear it, help us to see it, help our hearts to feel it, to receive it, to believe it, and then a life that is changed by it. Do that for all of us. We need your power and your spirit, and we pray confident that you'll give it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're coming to the end of a new year, and this is around the time where now you'll get sort of those year-end reviews, right? You'll get slideshows and videos, and it'll highlight for you all the things that happened, all the events in politics and government and sports and among celebrities. And when we come to the end of this year, I suspect that one of the things that'll make it on that list is the transformation of Kanye West, right? I suspect that maybe you've heard of that. If you think of all the things that you didn't see coming this year, that would be on that list. I don't know about you, but my family has been listening to some of the songs from the Jesus is King album. We've watched highlights of his Sunday services and interviews with him and Jimmy Kimmel and singing gospel songs on a plane with James Corden. And just about every conversation I've had about Kanye West comes down to this one question. At some point, you lean in and you go, yeah, but is it real, right? I mean, is he really a Christian? Because the whole thing just feels so unreal and so unbelievable. And, and we might be saying like that someone like him would really come to know Jesus and believe in Jesus. It sort of feels like when Saul of Tarsus became Paul, when he got converted, and everybody sort of wondered and leaned in and asked, yeah, but is it real? I mean, has he really been transformed? The point is to say this. We've all got people like Kanye West in our lives. And by that, I don't mean that we're all friends with celebrity billionaires. What I mean is that all of us have people in our lives that we could just never, ever imagine are going to come to God. That just feel really, really far away from God. And we just can't imagine any scenario under the sun in which their heart is suddenly going to be transformed. And suddenly they're going to be drawn to God and love Christ and trust him or follow him. We can't even imagine. Like if I were to ask you for a second, who is it in your life that you just can't imagine? That's really far away from God coming near to him. Who is it in your life that you just can't see any way under the sun in which they suddenly now are drawn to God and suddenly find themselves living for God? In fact, I'm going to ask you not just to think about it. I'm actually going to ask you, in the seat back in front of you, there's an index card. Would you humor me for a second? If there's not one right in front of you, there should be one around you. But grab an index card and a pen that should be there. And would you take a second and just write the name of the person you're thinking? You just need their first name. We don't need their social security or anything else. Just their name. And, and I imagine that as you fill that out, I imagine the name of a dad or a mom might go on that card. I imagine that some of you might write the name of a brother or a sister, a cousin or a relative. I imagine some of those names will be those of friends or coworkers or neighbors or classmates. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, my name would be the one I'd put on the card because I just can't imagine. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you here, but you might find yourself far away from God and can't imagine what it would take in life 
to make you someone who loves Jesus or follows Jesus. Okay, you've got that name. I want you to hold on to that card for a second. Because what I think that God wants us to do is see this morning three things from Luke 15. There's a lot that we can glean from this passage. But in our time, three things that I think God wants us to know specifically about the person that you have in your lap right now, that that name. Three things from Luke 15 that God wants you to know about that person on your card. Here's the first. The first thing is that since God loves the lost, God loves, and you can fill in the blank. Since God loves the lost, God loves the name of the person on your card. Now you might know that up here, but I just want you to take your heart and really drive that home and really fight to believe God loves the person on that card. The one that's really far away from God, the one that you can't envision any scenario in which they draw near to God. God loves that person. Let me show you something from Luke 15 so that you actually see it from the passage and might actually believe it with me. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables, three stories. It's actually one long extended parable connected together. You almost think of it like one show with three episodes. In episode one, he tells the story of lost sheep. So the story goes that a man has a hundred sheep, one of them goes missing, and so he leaves the 99 and he goes and looks for that one lost sheep. So you can picture this man. He goes up the mountainside and down the valleys, over into the ravines, through the forest and over the woods. He's searching here and there and everywhere for this one missing sheep. Episode two, it's now a lost coin. It's a woman and she's got ten silver coins. And so essentially one-tenth of her wealth goes missing in her home. And so what does she do? She searches here and there and everywhere. She lifts the couch and opens the cushions and opens the cupboards and she grabs a broom and grabs a lamp and she's going to look in the dark. She's not going to stop sweeping here and there and everywhere, in every crack, in every crevice, every corner, looking for this one coin. Okay, episode three, Jesus essentially takes it up a notch and now this might be the most famous of all the parables. It's the story of a lost son. And if you actually understand what Jesus is saying in the story, it's actually the story of two lost sons. But the story is often called the story of the prodigal son. And the story is there's a kid brother, a younger son, and he essentially goes up to his father and he says to his father, listen, I can't wait around for you to kick the bucket anymore. I wish you were dead, but you're not already. So I can't wait till you die. Give me what's coming to me. Right? That's essentially what he's saying. There's a share of your inheritance that's coming to me. I don't want to wait around till you die. So here's what you're to do. Sell your stuff and the half that belongs to me, give it to me. So that's what he does. I mean, you can picture this Middle Eastern father. He doesn't just have liquid cash. He goes and takes his five acres of land, if you will, or his ten acres and sells off half and gives that to the boy. And the boy then takes this wad of cash and goes off to a far country. And the text says he lives in riotous living. He spends it all on wine and women until he's destitute and broke and now living in a far-off land, probably not Jewish as in Gentile. He runs down on his luck. He's got no outs, and so he goes and finds a job feeding pigs. At that point in the story, you know that any Jewish boy in a Gentile land among Gentile people employed by a Gentile to feed unclean pigs, none of that is kosher. And now... 
He is so destitute and so broke that he's just hoping to be able to scarf down the scraps from these pigs. I mean, that's the third episode. So you've got a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost boy. The one common thread that jumps out to us is a sense of lostness. And Jesus tells these three stories with the view that he's talking about people who are really far away from God. The people who are really far away from God. In fact, we'll come back to it later. But he tells these stories because 15 verse 1 and 2 says, some tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus. That is the people like the ones on your card. The ones that are really far away from God. The ones that you never would have imagined coming to him. You would have never seen that coming. Those people were drawing near to God. And so Jesus tells three stories. These three. The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost boy. And so he's describing here the people that are far away from God. Now I want you to hear something. There might be a sense in which you hear that and you go, to describe people who don't know Jesus as lost can sound demeaning, can sound insulting, degrading. I mean, I I can imagine some of you might be sitting here going, the nerve of Christians. Just because this person doesn't know Jesus, that you Christians would call that person lost? I mean, are you not aware of how insulting that sounds? How demeaning and degrading that sounds? And yet, here's the thing. Ironically, this term being used lost isn't used to demean, isn't used to insult, and isn't used to put down. Ironically, it's described that way to communicate the great value of this person. Ironically enough, the word lost is used to show that this person is really important, especially to God. Here's what I mean. You tend to describe something as lost if it's valuable to you. You describe something as gone missing if it matters to you. For example, I have no idea where my middle school report card is. But I've never thought to put up a poster on a telephone pole. I've never offered a reward. I've never described it as lost to me or gone missing because I don't care. But on the other hand, posters are posted and rewards are offered and search parties are launched and investigations are done when something goes missing that is precious. When something of great value is lost to you, that's when this thing is lost to me. And you can see the value that Jesus is trying to describe of the ones who are far away from God in calling them lost in these three parables because of the great lengths gone to find them. There's that sheep, and do you see him going up the mountain and down the valley and into the woods and through the ravines because this sheep matters to him? Do you see the woman? She's got the lamp out. She's not going to stop because it's night. Through the night she'll search. Every crack and every crevice, you see her sweeping and lifting up couches and cushions because she needs to find that coin. And you see the sun. And to be honest, I don't know that I got it until the third parable. Meaning, because I'm not a shepherd, I didn't really get how, why the first parable worked the way it did. Because if I had 100 sheep, I don't know about you, if you had 100 sheep, and one of them goes missing, I ain't leaving no 99 to go find that one. I'm going, I still got 99, right? I'm not going up no valley and down through no woods or none of it. It's, it's gone, but I still have 99 here. And, and with the second one, maybe I can understand a little bit better because one-tenth of your wealth, but at the end of the day, she's lost one coin. She's still got nine more. But it's not till the third one that I really start to understand the heart of God. Because now... 
a son goes missing. A son goes missing. And that's different. Because I don't know about you, but last week, if you were here, we described Seven Mile Road like Chuck E. Cheese, right? So we've got kids everywhere. And I know that this has happened to me, and I've seen it in some of your faces, that it's happened to you. You look down one moment, and your little one's next to you. And you look away, and the next moment, they're not. You ever have that happen? And suddenly, you know the feeling of panic. Right? You can picture yourself in a supermarket or a grocery or a, a mall. You look down for one second, and the next moment, they're not there. In that moment, when that's happened to me, I can tell you one thought that's never crossed my mind. I've never thought, well, I got another one at home, so, you know, it's not so bad. I still have one. No. Because now what's missing is a son, a child. And if you can understand that, now Jesus is telling you that's the heart of God for the person on your card. That person on your card, it's not as if God is going, well, I got 99 others. Well, I have nine others. For God, that person on your card brings to his heart everything that a lost son would bring. Everything that a missing child would bring, that's the heart of God. Jesus tells this story to say, do you see the value of those who are far away from me? They're like a sheep that goes lost, that I'd search high and low and scale any mountain and crawl down any hole and crack and crevice to find. They're like a wealth that I would, I would tear apart my house and I would not stop because it's night. I would rip open everything to find. They're like a son that I would not go through any lengths to stop, to find. This is the heart of God. And the question for you this morning is, do you believe that God loves lost people like that? In fact, maybe more pertinent, do you believe that God loves the person on your card like that? That I know you love the people who are far away from God, but I'm here telling you from Luke 15, God loves them more. God loves that person that way, and no matter how far away from God they are, no matter how improbable it is that they would ever find him. I want you to know, in this story, tax collectors and sinners came. That is, the people who everyone in society knew was really, really far away from God. The people who had soiled their names and spoiled their reputations. The people who brought shame to their families. The people who were talked about in social media for all the wrong reasons. The people who had skeletons in their closets and things to hide and things they were afraid of. The people who everybody else in society agreed could be hated and ridiculed and looked down on. They were drawing near to God. And so Jesus told this story. In fact, you might be here and you might wonder, could it be that God would love someone far off from him, even me? Maybe it's not someone on your card. Maybe it's you that you're wondering, could God really love someone like me? And, and I want you to hear, this whole parable exists to tell you the love of God. In fact, I, I almost want to give you a logic that you can use for the rest of your life. Three premises, okay? Premise one, God loves sinners. If you know anything about the Bible from cover to cover, the testimony of the scriptures is God loves sinners. Premise two, and this is the harder one, I'm a sinner. If you can get premise one and get premise two, then premise three would follow. If God loves sinners and I'm a sinner, God loves me. In fact, I want to tell you, the next time you're fighting in your soul, wondering, could God really love me? Just go to your soul. God loves sinners. I'm a sinner. 
God must love me. God loves people who are lost. I'm lost. God must love me. God loves people who mess up. The one thing I can tell you about me is I mess up. God must love me. If A is true and B is true, then C is true. And I'm telling you, God loves us, sinners like us, lost people. These parables are meant to show you God loves those who are far from him. But second, since God loves the lost, the second thing is since God seeks the lost, God is seeking blank. And you fill in that name again. God not only loves the lost and so loves the person on your, God, on your card, God seeks the lost and therefore God is seeking that person. The person you wrote down. In fact, I want you to hear this. Just the fact that their name has showed up on your card, to me, is evidence that God is seeking them. I mean, the fact that God put them on your mind, to me, is evidence that he's on his mind. The fact that God put them on your radar this morning, to me, is evidence that they're on God's radar. God put them on your mind because he's on his mind. God put them on your radar because they're on his radar. Just the fact that they've been inscribed in this sacred morning onto that what now feels like a sacred card is evidence all that I need that God is seeking them and maybe even desires to seek them through you. In these three parables, it's not just Jesus saying God loves the lost. What's common in these parables is God is seeking the lost, right? It's sort of like, you know, hide and seek, the game we played when we were younger. You think that you play hide and seek, and you think the point of the game is to hide so well that no one can ever find you. That's actually not the truth. I mean, the cruelest thing you could do is if you hide so well, and then someone goes, well, they hid so well, I'm not going to look for them anymore. I mean, there would be nothing more cruel than to leave a little child that hid in the dark and go, no one's coming for that child. No one's seeking. No, we play hide and seek, not just to hide so well no one would find us. The truth is, the greatest moment in the game is when the one looking for us finds us. That's why we play. We don't play the game so that we might be left in a closet in the dark. We play so that someone might search everywhere. And the moment you squeal with joy and explode in laughter and you burst with gladness is when the door is thrown open and the person looking for you finally finds you. The entire story of Christianity is there have been human beings created in the image and likeness of God who turned away from God and ran and hid from him. And some of you might even be sitting in the dark wondering is God ever going to come looking for me? And I want you to tell you the entire story of the Bible is that from the first pages of Scripture, you have a God who seeks those who hide. In fact, the first story, Genesis 3, is these two human beings who sin against God, and what do they do as soon as they sin? They run in the garden and they hide. And they're sitting there naked and afraid and in the dark. And God doesn't leave them there. In fact, God shows up in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? And Eve, where are you? And the entire testimony of the scriptures, the entire story of the Bible is a God who seeks those who are lost. And that's what you see in this passage, in these parables as well, right? In verse 4 of chapter 15. What man of you, 
Having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost. And then notice this phrase, until he finds it. Do you notice that? Until he finds it. How long does this man search? Well, as long as it takes. Until he finds it. This isn't a quick search for the sheep. This is a sustained search until he finds it. Same thing with the woman. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? There it is. It's not a quick look. It's a sustained looking until she finds it. That's what the parables are communicating. There's a lost sheep and a lost coin, and someone is going to seek until they're found. But I want you to notice something. This one preacher named Tim Keller, he pointed out something great in these parables. You see, there's a, a sort of symmetry to them. There's a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost boy. Okay, and then there's likewise a search for the sheep and a search for the coin and then nothing. It's like the symmetry breaks. And now, where you expect it the most, there's no search. I mean, he looked for the sheep and she looked for the coin and it makes you go, who's looking for the boy? Who's looking for the son? And then makes you ask the question, who was supposed to? Who was supposed to look for that boy? And Keller points out, you know, there's an earlier story in the Bible, way in the beginning in Genesis, of another pair of brothers, and an older one and a younger one. There's a boy named Cain and a boy named Abel. And God comes to the older brother and says, where is Abel. And if you remember the story, you know what Cain says back? He says, am I my brother's keeper? Like, am I the one who's supposed to look out for his well-being and ensure his safety and be concerned for him? And the implicit answer that's supposed to be shouted is, yes, you're his older brother. You were supposed to be the one to care for him and take care of him. And here, who was supposed to look for this younger boy? But this older brother, and this older brother would have looked for this boy and should have at the cost to himself. Hear what I mean by that, because that's not hyperbole. That's in the story. If this older brother is going to go find the younger kid, he's going to do it bearing the cost of that search on himself. What do I mean? Remember the story, 10 acres of land? It wasn't liquid cash. The dad sold half of his property, gave it to this younger kid. The younger kid went and spent it all. That means that everything dad has left belongs to who? Belongs to the older brother. That means that if this younger kid is going to come back home, it's at the expense of the older brother. If he's going to have room and board, it's at the expense of the older brother. If he's going to eat a meal, it's going to cut into his inheritance. If they're going to kill a fattened calf, it's his fattened calf that they're killing. Do you get it? This younger kid can't be welcomed back in without the older brother suffering the cost of it. Without paying for it. Without it eating into his inheritance. Without it eating into what's coming to him. That boy already wasted all of his share. And so any hope of him being restored is at the cost of this older brother. But where Cain wouldn't do it, and the boy in this story wouldn't do it, the question then is, who is going to search like that? And where on earth do you find an older brother like that? And the entire story of Christianity is God had one older son. His name was Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus was the good son who lived with his dad and never left home. And Jesus is the one who obeyed everything his father said perfectly. And he did so not to get from his dad a goat, but he did it because he loved his dad. And this good son, who had never done anything wrong, who was sinless and pure, saw us in a distant country, left in the dark, left among the pigsty. And this good son, this elder brother, left his father and traveled a great distance to find us in the dark. And then at the cost of himself, brought us back home. He bore in his body and on his blood the cost of bringing us home. And writing us into the will cost Jesus everything. To have a share of all things, which is what's coming for the Christian. We will inherit all things. You know what we're eating into? We're eating into Jesus' inheritance. Everything belongs to Jesus. But Jesus has gladly shared it with all of us, which is why Hebrews says he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. He's our elder brother. And the point of this scripture and this story is, if our elder brother didn't leave us in the dark, then now you and I, brothers and sisters, have to be those who search diligently for God's other missing children and do so until they are found. So the question for you would be, you know the person that you've written on your card? What would it look like for you to join God in searching diligently for that person until they are found? In this season, what would it look like for you to join God in searching diligently for them to be found and brought to the Father? Maybe even the question is, what costs are you willing to bear so that this person who's far away from God might be brought near? And I'm telling you, it's going to cost you something. At, at the very least, maybe it'll cost you time. Time that you would rather spend doing something else Time that you'd rather spend being somewhere else. Time that you'd rather spend with someone else. And so when it presses on you to sacrifice time, you're going to be asked this question, what cost will you bear so that the person who's far away might be brought near? What sacrifices might you make so that those who are far away from the Lord might be brought near? Or maybe in this season, searching diligently at the very least would include praying for this person. So here's what we want to ask you to do. You'll notice on the back there's two frames. There's already some index cards there. Before you leave this service, would you consider committing to praying for the person on your card for the next season? Say the next 30 days. It's the 24th now. It'll take us to right to Christmas Eve. What if you pray, Lord, as we get ready to celebrate the season in which you were born, would you be born again in this person's heart? When we celebrate that you came into this earth, would you come in this season into this person's heart? And if you would do that, I'd ask you on your way out at some point today, would you post your card there as well so that as we go the next few weeks, we can just be reminded we're genuinely asking God to bring people who are far away from him close. And we're not going to be content to be older brothers that have a good relationship and stay at home while our lost siblings are in the dark. We're going to join God in seeking diligently until they're found. And in a moment, Katie Brainine and Caroline Finley will come and will just give us some practical thoughts on what it looks like for them to seek the lost diligently until they are found.
So brothers and sisters, here's the point of this. God not only loves those who are lost and so loves the person on your card, God seeks those who are lost and therefore seeking the person on your card. But finally and lastly, let me just tell you this. Third, since God rejoices when the lost are found, God desires to rejoice over, and you can fill in the blank again. Since God rejoices over the lost when they are found, God desires to rejoice over the person on your card. Let me just tell you this and we'll be done. Seven Mile Road, we've had 10 years together. And there's been so many great things in these 10 years to celebrate and rejoice in. But I tell you this, if there was one thing lacking in Seven Mile Road over these 10 years, and one thing if we're going to ask God for more of, right, that's what this whole series is. Lord, we're not content, we're not done, we're not coasting, we want more. If there's one thing we haven't had enough of here, it's parties, okay? We have not had enough parties here. In fact, I was tempted to call this sermon, Love Parties More. That's what we want in the next 10 years. Because what is the crescendo of every one of these parables except a great big celebration? This man finds his sheep, and so he says to his neighbors and his friends, Come rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheep. And the point of the parable is what? Verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Same thing when the coin is found. She calls her friends and neighbors, come rejoice with me. And then verse 10 says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And when the father gets his boy back, what does he say? Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, kill the fattened calf. We must celebrate for this son of mine, what? Was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. And they begin to celebrate. I want you to believe this. There is no one here more eager to celebrate the person on your card coming home than God. No one more committed to seeing that person come home than God. He loves them more than you do. He's seeking them more than you are. And he desires to rejoice over them in a way that would blow our minds. Can you imagine a God who genuinely rejoices in the presence of angels when even one sinner comes home. So that's what we want. We want to see more parties because we want to see more people sought because we know that God loves them even more than us. Let me pray and then I'll invite Justin to come and lead us a conversation with Caroline and Katie about what this looks like. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we give you thanks for this day and we pray now that you would convince us by your word and by your deeds in history and as revealed in your word, that you are committed to seeking the lost. You did so from the moment of the first fall in the garden. You've done so through every story in the Bible and supremely through Jesus Christ. You came to show us that you seek and save the lost. Come help us, come save us, and come use us to save others still. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, um, as the Lord has been speaking to us this morning about loving the lost more, 
Uh, as you know, uh, throughout the series, and if you're new here, uh, as we've been going through this series of more, we are not only um, asking the Lord uh, to do more, but we are also want to think practically of how we can love the lost more. And so we want to do that this morning. And, and here's a truth, church, about loving the lost, right? Um, the scripture tells us that uh, loving the lost and sharing the gospel with the lost is not something just for mature Christians. It's not just for pastors or evangelists or missionaries. Uh, scripture tells us that it's for all Christians, that we should all live missionally. And so to do that, uh, this morning we have uh, Katie here, we have Caroline here. Uh, ladies, thank you for being with us. And they're just going to share with us practically how this looks in their life of loving the lost and sharing uh, the gospel. 